you'll turn with me uh, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. While I was getting ready this morning to come here, there was a lot of hubbub in the house because we had all the family in, and there were people in rooms where there aren't normally people in. And, um, well, I had an object lesson that I was going to bring and have in front here. And anyway, it's still at home. So here it is. So I was going to bring this, and it looks like a um, tin metal dish base. Okay, you got it? Part you'd put the butter on. But it's tin. It's painted black. Now on top of it, rest a pair of shears, not very long, pointed, and on one of the blades of the shears is a box. The box is about two inches in length, and it's about three, well, about a half an inch deep. A pair of shears. Well, what's it used for? Well, it's the kind of shears that someone would use to trim the wicks on lamps in order that the black stuff on top, the soot, could be kept to a minimum and that allows the light to shine brightest and it keeps from having some kind of obnoxious smoke. And in it's a very handy tool for a bygone era. Now I want you to keep that shears in your mind and think, what is Jesus doing here in Revelation? It says that he is going to be walking among the golden lampstands, which are the churches. And what's he going to be doing as he goes from church to church? Well, he's going to be some, doing something to encourage the church's shining and he's going to be doing some things that are going to correct that church from shining as brightly as it should or could. And when we think of that, we need to think of, well, we're individuals, we're a part of the church, and we need to think that Jesus would be coming to us and it would be encouraging things that let his light shine through us, but maybe wanting to trim away from us those things that would, would keep that light from shining so brightly to others. So I want you to think that this is what Jesus is doing. Now, he's doing this. This is the first church. It's Ephesus. Now, there's going to be a total of seven, and he's going around, and he's making these adjustments to the life of each and every church for the glory of his name, the glory of his Father. So follow with me as I read this now from chapter 2 of Ephesians. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, 
and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. As far the reading of God's word, let's pray. Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're our God. We need your Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts and minds to this scripture so that we can see Jesus as you would have us see you, Jesus, and that we would orient our lives accordingly. And we make our prayer in your name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, you see this passage is written to one of the seven churches. This is Ephesus. And we see that Jesus is on the move. And Jesus is on the move in relationship directly to these local churches and this region of churches. He's in there uh, directing their growth and correcting things that would hinder their growth because he wants his light to shine. He, he wants these churches, lampstands, to be witnesses to his glory in the world. Now, as we look at this, you can see that this is dealing with an angel. An angel is Jesus's messenger here, and he's bringing this message to John. John's bringing this message to us. And when we see the idea of an angel, we need to understand that the work that we're talking about is the spiritual work of God, the spiritual work of God in each and every one of our hearts, the spiritual work of God that's in the church, and through that spiritual work in the church to affect the things that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to affect in the culture immediately around us. Now, again, as you look at this, you see that the, this word that is coming from Jesus, Jesus is described as the one who is holding the seven stars in his right hand, and at the same time, he is moving amongst these seven golden lampstands, which represent the church. Now, when we, we look at this, we say, well, what is this symbol? This is a symbol. It's, it's to orient us to the thinking that Jesus would have us have concerning himself. Well, in his right hand, he holds seven stars representing seven angels. Seven means basically completeness, all, all the angels. Jesus holds these in his right hand. Now, this is a picture of his authority, supreme authority, that is with him in heaven as he is seated at the right hand of God. Now, you see that this Jesus is now moving while holding these stars, He's moving in and out and among these seven golden lampstands. And we're told that these lampstands represent the churches in this area of Asia Minor. Seven, again, represents all the churches. So Jesus doesn't move merely through these seven, but he moves through the churches 
of that era, each and every one. He has moved through the churches of every era, and he's moving through our church and the other churches, well, churches of our denomination, churches of another denomination, and this really churches of no denomination at all. But he is moving in and amongst all of these churches. And what's the symbol? Well, the symbol is that Jesus has all authority on earth. Now, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that's what we pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, even as it is in heaven. We think of the Great Commission, and we see that at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And what are we told? Jesus came up to his disciples, and he announced to them, and he said, All authority has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. Our Lord Jesus has this authority of heaven and earth, and he's moving amongst his churches, and he's moving with his angels, and what he's doing is he is speaking to the churches that they would adjust themselves to his direction. Now, Primarily, you know, my ministry is to the elderly, older members of the church, and some of them have been around for quite a while. And there's an old saying that goes for, for married couples that the longer they look at one another, the more they look like one another. All right, there you have it. So I want you to hold that in your mind. How is there correction to the church? How does a church like this, how do you as an individual really receive the kind of correction that's going to benefit you? Well, here it is. You look at Jesus. You can start looking at Jesus, and you keep looking at Jesus, and you don't take your eyes off of Jesus from early childhood to as long as the Lord sees fit to leave you in the world. You look at Jesus. The more you look at him, the more you will look like him. And that's the correction that we see. It's a spiritual work. The Holy Spirit is going to work with the Word and create, cause us to be like Jesus. And again, you can go back to the earlier part of this first chapter and you can read this vision of Jesus in all of his glory, and you can say, I want to be with that Jesus for time and eternity. Jesus is moving through his church. He knows the condition of the church, and he's there not only to enable just any church, but to enable First Presbyterian Church to function in a manner that would be according to his standards, uh, that we could do all things in, to be pleasing to him in every respect. And we need to think about this, because this is all happening in an oppressive world. The world in which John was writing to the churches originally, it was an oppressive world. It wasn't an easy world to live in. Our world's not easy to live in, but we look at Jesus, we see his shining, we become shining like he is, 
and we carry his witness in the world. Now, again, this is correction to a church. So this correction needs to come to pastors. It needs to come to the elders of the church, the encouragement and the correction. It needs to come to each and every member of the church. We all need to take it to heart, the correction and the direction, the, the, the commendation and the condemnation that is found here. Now, the first thing that Jesus tells us is positive words. Now, somewhere along the line when I was about 40, James Dobson's ministry was just taking off. And you'd hear him on the radio. He'd be in conferences, and you'd go and listen to the man. And the man was always saying, what you need to do, parents, is this. You need to say about ten encouraging things before you ever say anything of a corrective nature. That's the way you do it. Well, I think that he got that. I think Dobson got that from Jesus right here in this particular passage. Look at the encouraging things that Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. I know your works. And then he refers to it as toil. It was patient endurance. It was testing. It was enduring patiently. It was bearing up. All in an oppressive world, and it says it was all done in my name. In other words, you did this because you truly love me and you want to please me in every respect. And so you're doing these things and all of these things seem to be very positive. And you see what, what is spoken of here, that there is oppression from outside. You see that from inside there are those people who are coming to them as false apostles and are trying to lead the church astray, and yet all through this, this church is functioning a very well-disciplined church life. That's what we see going on here. Now, as we take and look at this in relationship to our own church, we say, well, how does this look here? How is our church doing well? And I think it's, you know, I'm kind of simple, so I just kind of start and look at the structures of our church. What have we got for structures? Well, we have the children's ministry in this church. Does anyone work harder than Mary Sanchez and all of her assistants to see that these children are being nurtured in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? She labors at this. May I say that she also endures from time to time. Some of you come to her and you're not quite thinking, you know, it's not going just the way you would want it to go. And she endures with you. She, she does a marvelous job. We've got Chris Bennett and he's doing a great job. He's one in a series of youth pastors that we've had here in this church who is just right now doing a spectacular job. You go by his office during the week and you see them in there. They're organizing their work. There was an old business plan that used to be stated this way. You, make, you plan your work and you work your plan. And that's what you see going on in Chris's office week after week after week. It's a labor. It's being done intentionally. You go and, well, you can see we've got these other guys. You, you, you've got Justin 
and he's working with one age group. You've got Andy dealing with another age group. You've got me, and you've got, you know, uh, Marianne Shipley, and she's working with the women, and all of us are working very hard, and, and we're working together. Chip's overseeing all of this, and, and there's a lot to be thankful for that's going on in the life of this church, and may I say it's not anything else than in an oppressive world. We're constantly thinking about the world outside. And we're looking at these things. You know, the elders are involved in this. Uh, in the denomination as a, as a whole, we, we are constantly looking at doctrinal aberrations that are trying to come into our church from other church cultures. And we look at these things, and we examine these things, and we try and understand these things so that we can protect the church from anything that would be of a detriment to Christ's glory and to the witness of our church, we're constantly looking at this thing, and we're very vigilant about these things at all times. And we want to be an encouragement, each and every one of us, on the staff and the elders, to you, the members. Now, one of the things that you as members can do you can recognize that this reality is going on, and it's going on all the time. It, it just seems like everything's going along as normal, wonderful, normal, but it's not. There, we're, we're constantly making adjustments. Now, you see what Jesus is doing? He's bringing encouragement. It would be good for you as members to give encouragement to those people that are on our staff that are laboring in recognition for all the labors that they're doing. It would be good for us if we were to receive the encouragement that you give. You see the bulletin, you look at it, you see the choir, you see the singing. None of this comes without a cost. There's an enormous amount of energy just intellectual foresight and planning that goes into making these worship services what they are consistently of a high quality week after week and we as a congregation need to be thankful. We need to see all the good that Jesus would want to recognize in our church that causes the gospel to shine here. We need to see that. Now, if you turn now and see there's some words of correction, these are strong words. They are coming from Jesus, and they're strong words of correction to a church that in many ways looks very solid. But you see that something very central in a church that looks very solid is not right. So in verses 4 and 5, Jesus now brings correction. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Now, Jesus' words are coming as strong correction to the church. What is wrong? Well, they've abandoned their first love. And we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? Because the temptation is just to say simply, he's talking about the love that's in the church. It's not there like it used to be. Probably that's not it. Because he's saying right here at the very end of his commendation that you're doing all of these things in my name. You're doing all these things because you love me. So this idea of having abandoned their first love probably needs to be interpreted symbolically just as the lampstands and the stars are interpreted symbolically, so is the idea of the first love. And what was their first love then? Well, we find it as we start to look at this preface language of Jesus' actions. Stars bring illumination. Lamps, in the keeping of those lamps, bring illumination so that light shines. The witness of the church in the world is what's being spoken of here as this church's first love. This church has become so internally focused that it's lost his external focus. Now, we at one time had the pleasure of having Randy Pope here on the the church staff while he was in seminary. And of course, all of us just love to see all the things that are part of Randy's ministry. But Randy, from time to time, addresses us pastors. And he talks about churches much like this. And he says, I want you pastors, and I'm now saying to you as a congregation, to think of a line, a continuum from left to right. On one side, I want you to put the idea that your church is all about home. On the other side, I want you to put that your church is all about mission. And I want you to figure out where your church fits on this continuum. Is your church more home or is it more mission? What's it focused? Now, the same could be said to you as individuals. Do you just love our church, or do you have a passion for this community? Can you see how we're saying that? Where is your light shining, in other words? Now, Jesus is saying that this church had been consumed internally, that it had lost his external shining. And we need to think about that. Let's think of this church in Ephesus for a moment. Paul came there, he had with him a woman named Prisca and her husband Aquila, and the two of them had come from Corinth, they settled down there, and basically Paul was there for two and a half years. In that two and a half years, that entire culture was radically transformed by the person of Christ and the gospel that was taught about him. And when I say radically transformed in two and a half years, you just, it's hard to imagine. It says at one point that all the people that were caught up in their various art forms and sorceries and such came and brought their books, they put them in a pile, and they burned them, 
And in today's money, it would have been like three quarters of a million to a million dollars worth of books were burned. It says at the same time that there was a riot in Ephesus that was led by the men who made the little shrines of, of Artemis. And these little shrines were made of silver or other metal, and, and they were sold to the, the locals, but they were also sold to people that traveled to Ephesus. And so radical was the church's transformation of the culture that these sellers of these shrines had seen their business shrink to almost nothing, and they rioted in the city arena, and they shouted with a whole city gathered around them for upwards to two hours. They shouted over and over, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. In two and a half years, the gospel had taken the people out of that culture and brought them into the church culture. That's what had happened. Now you think, well, eh, maybe small potatoes. Well, think again. When you think of this temple of Artemis, you need to think of something that you probably have forgotten from ancient history. That temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. Now, you can get your little cellular device and you can pull it out and you can type in seven wonders of the world. And it's going to pop right up there. And it's going to show you a temple of what they, or a picture of what they think the original temple in Ephesus looked like. People came from all over the world to worship there and to get these shrines and go home. And boom, two and a half years, this is gone. Do you see any mention of that in the commendation? It's not there, is it? These people, again, had become so internally focused that they had lost this zeal to go out. This church had planted all these other six churches and the church at Colossae beside. It was a dynamic life that had gone on there, but now it's gone. Now, what do we, what we think about ourselves? Here we are at First Presbyterian Church. And, and some of you who are older members will come up to me afterwards and tell me you forgot a thing or two. And I probably never knew a thing or two that, to forget it. But it would be sort of like this. This church planted a church in East Macon in a bygone era. This church planted Vineville Presbyterian Church. This church planted a church that was on Log Cabin Road that's no longer there. Uh, this church helped plant the church in Forsyth, helped plant Northminster Presbyterian Church, planted the church that I was a part of in Milledgeville, the church I started at Lake Oconee, started the church in Columbus, Georgia with Roland Barnes in Statesboro, Georgia, started two of them down in Warner Robins, the Covenant Church and the uh, um, House and Lakes Church, and you know of other things that we've done. And I'm not even going into foreign missions. We've done a lot. My question now to you elders is this. What church are we trying to plant right now? You say, well, not. Well, there you have it. Are we missing our first love at First Presbyterian Church? 
There was a point in time, way back, you can remember the various entities that were started by members in this church. There was covenant care services that was started. You can think of campus clubs, you can think of Strong Tower, you can think of the day school, you can think of a number of other entities that were started out of this church, and you all as individual members have done many ministries solo, and you've done many ministries in clusters. What are you doing right now? And so the, the idea is, have we become so internally focused that we have lost this external focus of our witness in the world? Now, there was a once a, upon a time here in the church where the church was just filled with people that were, were gossipers. And you gossiped. You gossiped about this church. From the first of the week to the end of the week, you told people about your church and you told people about what was going on at your church and you invited people to come to this church and you did this and it went on for a long period of time. Now, my question would be to you, when was the last time you were out gossiping about our church? And I'm, I'm trying to call your attention to ways that you can think about the external focus that needs to be in this church. There are sections of the church and balcony that could stand some people to warm the cushions. And you know them. Look, I didn't say this in the first service, but I said it a few weeks back, and I'll say it again. Here's a track. There are very few churches in our community that are going to put out a bulletin that is going to have the worship organization and structure contemporary and traditional that's reflected in this bulletin. I would say you could think just very directly of the name of a person you could write on this to give to and invite them. Here's a whole list of the activities that are going on in the church. In the same way, you could think, of, I know friends that need this. And you could pass it on, this on to them, encouraging them to come. We need to look. We don't want to be a church that's lost our first love. We need a tune-up, and this passage provides us with a tune-up. Now let's look at the closing message of this. So Jesus comes to these people again at the end, and you see this down um, at the end in verses 7. He says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. If you're here and you're thinking, that's right, I used to do that. That's right, I can do that again. You're hearing. The danger is that you sit here and say, one more sermon. That would be a grave danger. Just one more sermon. It's just like the last one. This one anticipates the next one. That's not hearing. That's not hearing Jesus. Jesus is speaking to us. But what does he say to us that hear? The one who conquers, the one who repents, the one who overcomes, I'm going to grant them to eat of the tree of life 
which is in the paradise of God. In other words, the Lord who is, has all authority in heaven and earth is going to make all things new. And for the one who overcomes, he is going to participate with Christ in the glory of everything being made new. As he's going to say at the end of this whole letter, Behold, I make all things new. We need to look at that. I want to say a thing I meant to say in the last point. Personally, our witness can experience weakness. We see what we want for the church, but we're not realizing anything of what we want. Worldliness weakens witness. Worldliness weakens witness. In Ephesus, there was a problem with pornography. That's what the Temple of Artemis was all about. And yet, all and amongst counseling that we get into with people is a problem of pornography. Where pornography is a problem, there isn't going to be strength in witness. The Holy Spirit is not going to work with our witness if we're compromising in worldliness. Alcohol abuse is going to be a tremendous problem for witness. People hear the witness, they see the problem, and they don't accept the witness. Whereas when we put these things into their proper perspective, the witness is accepted. It says here that they burned their books. Now, the problem is, it, it's kind of vague. What were those books about? They were about sorceries. You say, well, I don't get where sorceries in Ephesus fit with Macon and First Presbyterian Church. There's a direct link. Because the word for sorcery is a Greek word. And the Greek word is the Greek word pharmakia. You hear it? Pharmakia, pharmacy, drugs. Where we're abusing drugs, we're not going to be able to witness. It's just the Lord's not going to honor it. And so we're told here if we want our witness to shine, we have to deal with whatever for us is worldliness. There's the promise. Right here at the end, the one who is going to overcome is going to enjoy the paradise of God. Paul said it this way, momentary light afflictions gives way to an eternal weight of glory. Let these things from Jesus tune us up that we might shine like lights in a dark world, and in the midst of the oppression that we're experiencing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to make us like Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.